Hi, everyone. I'm Chuck Saren, VP of Industry Marketing for MedTech and Life Sciences at Propel, and welcome to the Product Success Podcast, Quality and Medical Devices. I'm joined by Rachel Jang, a Senior Solution Consultant here at Propel. This podcast brings together thought leaders from the health and life sciences industry talking about compliance, quality, and product success in the medical devices. Before we dive in, you can find all episodes of this podcast under the resources tab at propelplm.com. Hey, hello everyone. Uh, I'm really excited today to talk with David Dykman from Greenberg Traurig and Rachel Jang from Propel and chat on some topics about business strategies around strategic patent portfolios and patent planning and maintaining control of your IP. So Rachel, maybe you could say a quick hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be back again. I'm very excited to talk to David today too. I think we're going to learn a lot. Okay, awesome. And again, I'm really excited to be joined by Dave today. He's a registered patent attorney with like over 25 years experience in patent IP law. And maybe Dave, you could tell us a little bit about yourself a little bit more. Sure. First, uh, thank you, Chuck and Rachel. It's my pleasure to be here today. Um, as you mentioned, I've been a patent attorney for 25 years, which is hard to believe. Um, and I work at Greenberg Traurig in Boston. My background before going to law school was I was a medic, uh, mechanical and medical device engineer, a biomedical engineer uh, by training. And then I went to law school knowing I wanted to practice patent law in the mid to late 90s. And this is before patents were the currency of innovation and the currency of our innovation economy. And back then um, it wasn't quite as popular uh, to be a patent attorney. When I told people what I did at a cocktail party, you know, they said, what does a patent lawyer do? Today, when I tell someone I'm a patent learning attorney, the first thing they say is I've got this great idea. Um, so <laughs> we're much more popular now, but I think that's a reflection of the importance of innovation in our economy as it shifted from a manufacturing economy to a truly uh, business innovation and a digital economy, which is still evolving, especially in the healthcare space. And so it's been a really fun ride being a patent attorney over these last 25 years. Worked with a lot of innovative startup companies, been with them through their venture capital financing, all the way through either an M&A exit to a larger company or many companies I've worked with have gone through an IPO and are still clients all these years later. So it's really been just a great ride to be able to help these companies protect their innovations, help them reach their next milestone of their company, whether it's VC financing, a licensing deal, a joint venture with a collaborator or competitor or M&A or an IPO. And you know, no two days are the same. And I love being at the intersection of early stage technology and figuring out how to best protect it. That's great. That that covers a, a great reason of why you did it um, and, uh, and and how you're doing it today. That, that's awesome. And uh, I think we're also very lucky at Propel to have you on our MedTech Executive Advisory Board. Um, you know, Dave, Dave brings this great perspective on the industry about medical device and, and how companies enter into these patent, you know, strategies and, and why it's important. And we lead that into, you know, 
try explaining QMS and PLM at a, a cocktail party as well, right? It's not easy, but um, Dave helps make it, it connect these dots and, and create a lot of value in these connection points. So we're, we're lucky to have them on our executive advisory board. Um, all right, so I guess, uh, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, IP strategy. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we talk about is, you know, early stage companies or, or startups, they, they start to say like, when is the right time to start thinking about these IP strategies? And I think you call it due diligence in some of your articles, but they wanna start to protect their information right early so that they can prepare for that and, and start to think about that patent process. Cause as you mentioned, you know, a lot of us have ideas and, and a lot of companies get founded from these, you know, great doctors that have an idea and want to go start a company, but they, they don't quite know how to jump on that vehicle yet to start a patent. But maybe you could talk a little bit about some of that early, early staging. Sure, it's happy to. I think over the years, I've had the pleasure of working um, with a lot of reform doctors, as they say. They're, they've either uh, grown a little tired of the practice of medicine or the day-to-day -day rigors or or the billing and insurance and fighting with insurance companies to get paid. And they've come up with an innovative idea and they wanna form a company around it, but they really don't know the best way to go about that. And one of the interesting things about patents, about intellectual property, is these are really the cornerstones of your company, kind of patenting these innovations. So you get, some exclusive rights to those innovations. You know, a patent is essentially a contract with the US government. You need to fully disclose what your innovation is in exchange for that. You get a 20 year right to exclude others from making that innovation. So it's kind of your contract with the government. And, you know, patents are critically important to companies. We've all seen the patent fights, whether it's some of the biggest medical device companies or on the phones we use every day between Apple and Samsung, which we're having patent wars all over the world. You know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we saw the stent wars where the biggest players in the stent market in our industry were suing each other mm -hmm. in various countries over various patents and really what they're fighting over are market share. Um, it wasn't really a question of who's right at the end of the day. It's how could they use patents as business weapons to help them gain or leverage market share in this big market where they're fighting for it tooth and nail. So I think patents are critically important, but the most important time to solidify your patent estate is earliest days of your company or innovation, oftentimes before you have funding. Um, you need to file your patents before there's a public disclosure of an invention, whether it's at a conference or whether it's one-on-one -on -one talking to a company. So if you think about it from that perspective, filing your patents early and then filing them often on incremental improvements are key to building a robust strategic patent portfolio, which the VC dollars and the deals will follow. But that time when you need to spend the money is when you really have perhaps the least amount of money in the company before you get that big funding round. You need to invest in your IP strategy to protect your innovations. And really, that's going to be a springboard to your commercial success later. And that's especially true in the med tech space where, you know, you need FDA approval for the majority of your products. So you can't just go right into the market, you know, in the software space. Um, and, and even some of the digital health spaces, you can just put your app or put your mobile 
um, application out there and see what happens. But for a pure medical device where you need regulatory approval, you know, your IP estate is really one of the best ways to value your company in the early days. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, um, you know, getting that in early to protect and, and I think get it in process to be parallel with that regulatory pathway. I see, you know, those as, as very important points. And then, you know, to sort of, you know, protect those innovations. But I think, um, you know, that leads to sort of uh, the valuation of your company, right? Like if you're looking at getting these, these things filed and getting your data sort of protected, you know, that sort of when you have companies looking to acquire, you know, that's another point is a lot of these early stage companies, um, you know, they may be looking to or not looking to get acquired, but as far as these buyers, they're looking for, you know, companies that have these things in order um, so that they have these positions. So it can kind of de-risk sort of that potential investment or putting seed funding or VC money into it, right? So I think that that exemplifies that point, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's the advice I give to some entrepreneurs and early stage companies, you know, patents, you know, are not cheap and they can be expensive and especially they can be an outsource, an outsized percentage of early stage uh, dollars that are spent. And sometimes I have entrepreneurs who say, I can't afford a patent right now. And I reverse that and say, you can't afford to not patent right now because once you miss that window, no matter how much money you have later, you can't make up for missing that patent window. So I think it's really important. And that's why I think, you know, I'm so happy to be on the Propel Medical Device Advisory Board because I think Propel really helps companies align their patent strategy with regulatory and getting all the drawings that you need for your patents. It's much easier with Propel kind of being the centerpiece um, of product development. Yeah, that's a, a point I definitely wanted to dive into a little bit about is you know managing, controlling that patent information. But maybe before we get into the details of it, I think you know, managing it, you know, in parallel, as we talked about to regulatory, aligning it to regulatory, but also being a part of like your MPI process is, is a part of that too. As you talked about disclosure and the point at which maybe you need to start positioning that information across the company and positioning that information, maybe as you get to the point of out to your partners, your suppliers, maybe in authorized reps, and you need people to start accessing that information. It needs to be done in a very controlled and, and shared and secured fashion. And, and that's what a, a really good, you know, QMS, PLM type of system can do. And I think that's a, a point you're making there is, um, you know, with, with products like Propel that have that really extensive, you know, supplier portals or partner portals or authorized rep portals um, and working tightly with your, your suppliers and manufacturers I think those are extremely important elements that you're starting to divulge is that you can control that information, you know, down to the field and file levels. Um, yeah, I think even controlling that information internally, you know, where only some people in the company need to know some of the information, we even have that level of security in Propel. So I think that's very helpful too. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've talked a lot about patents and I think what you're getting at is really, you know, protecting your trade secrets, which sometimes can be even more valuable than the patents because a trade secret, if it's well protected, doesn't have an expiration date. It can go on indefinitely. So I think, you know, you really, the best companies, the best 
innovative companies. We've seen this over time, regardless of industry, but especially in the medical technology and digital health industry. The biggest innovators have a culture of innovation and protecting their ideas, whether it's through patents, through trade secrets, certainly NDAs with potential customers, competitors make sense, and just making sure that there aren't any inadvertent disclosures, which can come back to haunt the company years later. Yeah, yeah, great points. Um, I think when you, you talk about some of the, the data and you talk about trade secrets being, you know, of, of great value, and, and I think of, you know, the patents and the trade secrets, but the trade secrets, like you said, go in indefinitely. And, and maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things that we hear a lot is our, our customers are collecting data from like patients or from how that device is being used. And they consider that to be very valuable IP. And in some senses, like trade secrets, right? As to what, how their patients um, are, are doing out, you know, out in the real world, right? Um, and that leads to actually bringing that data and funneling back in that voice of the customer back into the product development process, right? So you're able to capture customer issues or patient issues, um, and, and maybe customer service does that, and 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 investigate those complaints and, and really bring that into the product development process to improve it. So I think one of the things that comes up in collecting that data is also, you know, privacy of that data, which, you know, gets into the personal health information or PII and making sure that we're able to manage that information through. So I'm, I'm kind of on a on tangent here of trade secrets and, and being able to manage that data, but it is important to be able to collect it, feed it back into your you know, design and development process and improve your designs or, you know, potentially even extend to new markets. Um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about what types of IP data beyond that. You know, we talked about, you know, collecting the data and, and analytics and, and getting that through into, into complaints in your quality event process. But, you know, there's also like design data too, right? Which maybe gets into, you talked a little bit about some of the software and software IP. Um, is that something maybe as we talk about different types of IP, um, maybe you can ex uh, talk a little bit about software, maybe even software as a medical device and how some of these things play into, uh, into your world. Sure. You know, I think that's the biggest trend we've been seeing in the last, you know, 10 years and certainly in the last five years and the last few years during the pandemic is that data is becoming such a valuable asset for healthcare companies. And the biggest thing with data is you need to make sure that a company owns its data. Even if you have the app and the users are, are entering their, whether it's diabetes info or their heart rate info or breathing info, you need to make sure that you actually own that data and you're able to use it. Um, so that's the big thing there is companies need to update their terms and conditions to ensure that they own all data from any software or apps or medical devices that may be transmitted either to hospitals, to the doctor or back to the company. And it has a patient's permission to use the information that's collected for the purposes that are envisioned by the company, whether that's aggregating the data to find mega trends in terms of illnesses or recommending specific course of actions for a particular patient. And really what you have to do there is you need to make sure that, you know, your data is meeting the healthcare regulations that you mentioned. And sometimes when software companies or tech companies entered a medical space, 
you know, they're not as familiar with the HIPAA regulations and the European general data protection regulations that we've heard GDPR. Yep. So I think you need to make sure that you're meeting your HIPAA obligations for personalized uh, medical information. And if you don't, there could be some very bad consequences and bad publicity for the companies. So I think that certainly always becomes an issue when we're doing due diligence to look at acquiring or investing in uh, a digital health company is do they really own their data? How is it collected? And are they really doing what they specify in their terms of use? Many times companies do these terms of use and they might just copy another company's terms of use and not hire lawyers to do it, which is a big mistake. And they don't even know what their terms of use really give them ownership of. So I think that's another lesson learned we've seen. Sometimes you try to save a few dollars up front and you end up really hurting your company's value down the road by not doing things right from the start and getting your lawyers involved um, early on as you're crafting these policies. And I think the same is true you know, for trade secrets and software. Um, you need to make sure that you own the trade secrets. Oftentimes, if you're working with consultants, um, do you have an agreement where everything they create is owned by the company? Oftentimes you don't. The same is true of co-founders in the earliest days of the company. And certainly for software developers, more and more of that development is being outsourced, whether it's to India, to Eastern Europe, or even to African countries now where developers are sometimes much less expensive and sometimes faster than their counterparts in more developed countries. But you really need to make sure you get a general assignment that this is a work for hire where everything will be assigned to the company and a specific assignment. If some of this software becomes your company's core code and we've seen this and then five, six, seven years later, there's an acquisition during diligence, they're going to ask who developed this software. We need a list of all the early consultants. And then the next question is show me their signed agreements. And if you can't produce that agreement, you're going to have to go um, A, track that person down, and B, you're going to have to ask them, please sign this assignment. And oftentimes they say, you know, well, I know your company is worth a lot more now, so I'm going to want um, some sort of payment to sign over this code. And you wouldn't be coming to me unless you really need it. Um, so they're thinking in their mind. So, I, you know, it borders on sometimes a very high price to get that assignment at a later date when it could have just been tied up early on with a bow on it and you would have avoided a big issue down the road. Right, right. So if you actually, yeah, if you outsource it, you got to make sure, you, to your point, yeah, you can get that source code, the underlying source code or whatever you're contracting out or in some cases you're leveraging maybe third-party software or licensed software, right? And to the same point, you have to make sure that, that, that that's all covered. That's a, a really good point. We definitely have some customers that are software as a medical device where, you know, it's, it's that's the product. And, and, you know, we talked about the, the UI and, and making sure that all these things are in order from design patents to your software IP. So those are really excellent points there. Um, and I think, Chuck, just to elaborate on one point, certainly software, you know, is becoming more ubiquitous in, in medical technology, whether it's augmented reality to assist in surgery, use of AI in diagnostics, 
and your robotic surgery obviously is software driven as well. And oftentimes in the early days, software developers, um, they don't write all their code from scratch. They might be able to take some open source software or something off the shelf. And it's a danger um, later on when you go try to sell the company. Open source software comes with some strings attached. It is a shortcut to get your first set of code um, off and test it in beta to see if you really have a meaningful product. But if you use open source software, you might have the um, unfortunate side effect of having to disclose your source code, which can be a real detriment to a company that's built on innovation and trying to protect their source code. So you just have to be very careful with open source software and third party software libraries that are added into companies proprietary software. You know, that, that brings about a good point. You brought the word disclosure um, just a, a couple minutes back and, and talking about, you know, making sure that there's a certain point in time where you may have to disclose some of your information. And I would think is, you know, a lot of these uh, startups and that you want to balance the point of, you know, your patent process, um, your trade secrets, as you're alluding to here, but how do you protect your designs and, and your your IP from being disclosed too early and being disclosed to the to the wrong point. Like, you know, for example, you know, when you do like a, a 510K, right? Or a pre-market submission or something, and you're you're sort of revealing a lot of your documents and you've done that process um, versus maybe like a Q submission, um, kind of an early stage pre-market submission or or you know, to the point when you file for your for your patent, maybe you can talk a little bit about that disclosure element and and how that happens and, and when you want to protect it and when it actually gets, you know, put out to be available through like a Freedom of Information Act, I saw as, you know, one of the points where somebody could request it. Yeah, and I think that alludes to a point we spoke about a bit earlier about having your regulatory and patent strategy, you know, walking lockstep together. So whenever you do a regulatory filing, we consult with our clients to make sure that even the latest incremental improvements that may be disclosed to the FDA, those have already been filed in patent applications. Because in some instances where that doesn't happen, if your FDA submission um, is before you file your application, that FDA submission can be viewed in some courts as a public disclosure, even though it's confidential at the FDA, um, but you're still disclosing it to a third party. So it's therefore can be considered a public disclosure and work against you for your own patents. So really the key is before any public disclosure, whether it's at a conference, whether it's to the FDA, whether mm -hmm. it's a one-on-one -on -one VC meeting, make sure you filed at least a provisional application covering whatever is spoken about at that meeting. And over the years, we've had, you know, some crazy situations develop where someone has talked to us, you know, on the airport in the East Coast, they're going to a meeting um, with a partner or with a VC on the West Coast. And while they're in the air for that five or six hours, we file a patent application so that when they land, they can disclose it at their meeting. But the reality is it met the law. It was filed first as a patent before there was anything that could be viewed as a public disclosure and that best protects the company. Okay, yeah, that, that you know, that's why I love having you on our board. You, you bring about so many ideas of uh, either product 
areas we have or we, we want to venture into. But, you know, having legal as part of that process, a part of your product development process and your regulatory pathway. And, and I think it's, it's, it's really integral to have legal as part of that approval so they know where you're at in that process. So, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of our customers are, are using, like, for example, the product registration capabilities to know what country you can sell your product in at what time. And I think that having legal and, uh, and all the cross-functional teams see where you're at in that registration process is important. So that, to your point, if you can design for regulatory, you can design for compliance, you can pull that earlier into the process, you can let everyone sort of see that at the same time. So that that's what sort of sort of resounds from some of the things you were saying is making sure legal's you know in the mix there and a part of that process. Well, I think you know one of the old uh, legal kind of uh, you know strategies that bears a lot of truth is it's so much easier to do things correctly up front than to try to correct a mistake later. It's much more time consuming and much more expensive to try to correct something that wasn't done correctly from the start. So I think that's always good advice for established companies and certainly for early stage companies. Great. I think uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the sort of processes and procedures and maybe capturing that and managing that. But before I get to that question, I was, you got me thinking a little bit about the countries and, and how are you seeing, you know, globally things happening, happening today? Are you seeing you know, companies release, you know, in the U.S. market first, you know, with the whole EMDR, you know, making the bar a little higher and the timing um, that, that we're all coming across without getting too many details here. Are you seeing them release in, you know, the EU um, second? And, you know, obviously with, you know, just the tides and ebbs and flows with China, kind of what are you seeing globally happening right now from uh, med tech companies, life science companies, you know, you deal with a lot of robotics companies. What are you seeing the dynamics happening globally now? So I think it's a very interesting time in med tech and a lot of patent strategy, you know, internationally, a lot of it plays into what stage is your company at, but more importantly, what is your company's long-term goals? Mm -hmm. um, are you looking to end up developing a standalone company that's going to have its own sales force that's selling around the world? Or do you plan to get acquired and piggyback on an existing player's sales force around the world? Do you plan to do an IPO or are you looking for an M&A exit? And I think that defines your patent strategy. The challenge with international patent strategy is U.S. patents are expensive but international patents are even more expensive. And, you know, the patents kind of follow the market. Like you said, the U.S. is still the top medical device market with the most revenue. You know, Europe is, is second. It's a big chunk. You know, you can file a European patent, which covers 31 uh, established countries in Europe. You know, things are getting a little more exit interesting with Brexit, but we can plan around that and file directly in the UK if we need to, to get protection there. But I think over the last decade and currently in the last few years, it's the rise of patent applications either based in China or filed in China because A, it is such a big market and B, if you do plan an exit to a really major top 10 medical device player, um, you know, they often view China as a critical market. And if you don't have a patent there, um, 
they're going to ding you on your valuation at the end of the deal saying, you know, we love your technology. We love that you protected in the US and Europe. We think China is going to be a potential big market for that. We're really disappointed you don't have a patent in China. And that's a huge change from when I started practicing in the late 90s and the early 2000s. You know, back then, very few med tech companies or very few companies, period, were going into China. And part of the reason for that is that China's patent system really just started in the 1980s. Um, it's not that old. Um, the U.S. patent system goes back to the Constitution, back to you know 1776, Article One, Clause Eight, Section Eight, to protect uh, the arts and sciences. Right in the words of the Constitution, that's the basis of the patent system. So our patent system in the U.S. is a couple hundred years old. You know. It's not perfect, but we've worked the majority of the kinks out of the system. China's patent system is much younger. Um, they've asked me to come speak in China a few times to kind of educate their inventors about intellectual property and how to protect their inventions and respect the intellectual property of other people's inventions. But I think China's rise as a patenting destination is clearly um, happening. And for those companies a few years ago that said, oh, I didn't want to spend you know, the five or 10,000 up front, it ends up costing them more uh, negatively in the background. So I think we're seeing more and more people filing in China. And interesting, we're seeing more and more applications coming out of China as well that are filed in the US. Okay, okay, very, very, uh, it's a great perspective there. Um, we started to touch on a little bit about you know, just managing the different processes um, around patents, the procedures around patents. And I don't want to digress into that, but you started to talk about having the right system to do that. Um, you know, we touched on involving, you know, legal as the approval process. Um, you know, it might be in terms of like, you know, marketing and sales collateral or, your, or the claims that you might make on a product and managing those so that you have marketing, legal, um, regulatory approvals along the way as, as again, as you're, you know, managing these products, these medical device products, but maybe you can, uh, lend a little more information on just how are you managing or how do you advise managing, um, all the processes around this or procedures around, you know, patents and trademarks, maybe what you've seen companies, med tech companies doing. Yeah. And I think the best practices are really just to have, you know, A, have a culture of innovation in place where people are encouraged to submit invention disclosures or document innovations in, in their product development system. And I think the key to that is just really having a patent, you know, a patent program in place. Some companies, when they're bigger, have patent committees that decide which innovations to file on. Oftentimes in early stage, it's just making sure that you have the right cadence. If you truly are an innovation company, you should be filing multiple patent applications in a year covering your innovations. So I think that's one way, you know, is to get your applications on file. That's the first step. And then once they're on file, one thing where we've had great success at Greenberg Traurig and working with my clients is really doing proactive patenting where we're very aggressive with the patent office, taking advantage of the USPTO's fast track programs to get their patents to issue quicker. A patent application is great, but when you're going to meet with a VC or a partner, you know, a patent application is still uncertainty. You don't know if it's 
A, if it's going to issue as a patent and whether it's going to be B, a broad patent or maybe a narrow patent, or maybe there's going to be prior art that could block it from ever issuing at all. So what we do is we utilize a lot of these fast track programs, uh, track one program accelerated examination is one example, or the patent prosecution highway, where we interface early and often with the examiners. There's a big patent backlog now, approximately 600,000 patent applications. So if you file a patent application today, you're number 6,001 to be examined, which means it's gonna take more than a year. Oftentimes the average is about 15 months to get a first action. Mm -hmm. But if you use these patent prosecution highway or track one fast track programs, you can skip to the front of the line. And sometimes there might be a small cost up front, but if you can get your patent faster, then we, when you go to that VCR partner meeting, you have a rock solid asset to present them and you can bring them to the table oftentimes quicker for a better valuation, which is the name of the game. Okay, great. Great. Um, talk a little bit about countries. Talk a little bit about you know the processes and strategy here. Um, anything as you look ahead to you know you've seen a lot of trends you've talked about in the past and recent. Um, what about looking further ahead? You know, in twenty twenty two, is there any kind of uh, regulations or any other things? You know, you mentioned China, of course, but any other things that you, you're looking for as challenges ahead in the next year or two, from a high level? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest trend in medical technology companies that impacts IP that we're seeing now is just the convergence of, of data, digital health with traditional medical devices. I think as we're looking more and more at chronic conditions, whether it's diabetes, mm -hmm. um, oncology, or some of these other just major market issues, and certainly COVID, data is king. And I think protecting your data and having you know, traditional medical device manufacturing companies working with data, that's not something they did in the past. So I think that convergence is driving new frontiers in healthcare. And I think patients and the providers are demanding it. So I think that's the trend we're seeing even filing a lot of new uses for older devices in conjunction with a data collection, whether it's through an app, whether it's through a sensor, a wearable sensor, whether it's in your watch or your clothing or elsewhere. And I think that data is gonna drive innovation in healthcare and whoever owns that data is gonna be sitting on a treasure chest. That's, yeah, that's great. Have that data, control that data, secure data. Um, you know, those are all re resounding points here about having it and then also being able to manage it. Um, that, that's great. Um, I, I guess we'll start kind of closing this out a bit. Um, in and I'm just thinking, are there any other topics or any other things that come to mind that you'd like to you know, address or, or summarize? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a few key themes here that you've done a great job of getting to. You know, I think number one is, you know, you need to make sure that you're really building a strategic IP portfolio where patents are the foundation. You need to protect your innovations and build a strong patent portfolio. Number two is you need to make sure you secure your ownership rights in IP, whether it's patents and make sure you have written assignments, but certainly in your development agreements with software developers, with third-party consultants. It's so easy to get those assignments contemporaneously and can be so difficult and time-consuming to get them at a later date. So I think those are two issues that we keep seeing over and over. 
And then number three, we haven't touched on quite as much is, you know, you need to know the patent landscape. Companies are often doing competitive intelligence on the market, but they need to do the same thing in the patent landscape. If you know who your competitors are, we can monitor their patents and see where their innovations are heading. So it's one thing to know what's going on in the market today, but if you can see what patent applications they're filing, you know where they're looking to go in the coming years ahead. And oftentimes you can put your own patent application in there that can throw in a speed bump or a roadblock on your competitor's path to product development, and that can put you in the catbird seat later on. So I think you know doing those three things are the cornerstones of a, a successful IP strategy for an early stage company or an established company. And then you need to be prepared for due diligence and investment and success. They're going to ask these hard questions. You can't hide the ball. If you try to hide the ball, it's going to come out at some point, whether it's through VC due diligence, certainly through M&A or IPO. And if it comes out, the later it comes out, usually the bigger problem it is. You know, problems tend to get worse. They don't just disappear. You can't sweep them under the rug. So I think if there is an issue, fix it early you can. And if not, just be proactive and own it and address it. And that's the way to commercial success and also success, you know, in the marketplace. We're seeing a great market right now for IPOs for med tech companies. Um, the SPAC IPO market could not be hotter, hotter in 2021. We've been involved in some of those deals and the valuations are really astounding. Um, but it all based on the cornerstone of protecting those innovations and creating market exclusivity. Excellent, David. Yeah, it's an incredible insight you're, you're bringing and, and we really appreciate your experience, your perspectives, all the information and the learnings that, that we've got today talking with you. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, September 21st. We've got a biomed device panel where you're gonna be moderating that with myself and uh, Carlo from Alira Health and um, Vincent Wong from Tom's Corporation. So I look forward to that. We're gonna talk a little bit about M&A and CDMO and um, talking about a perspective of from an OEM or customers, how are they sort of working with, uh, with their CDMOs um, through these times of great acquisitions and, uh, and changes. I also look forward to our next advisory board meeting um, and your fresh insights there. But I just wanted to say, David, uh, really appreciate your time today. Um, incredibly insightful and a lot, a lot of learning here today. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. And, you know, the panel on the 21st will be easy when I've got you and the other rock star panelists. I'll just uh, try to keep the conversation going and stay out of the way. And certainly this is a topic, as you can tell, you know, I, I love it. I live it. Um, I've written a number of articles about this as well. Um, if you Google me, you can find links to my articles. I love sharing the knowledge and helping companies protect their innovation and do it the right way that leads to a great ROI at the end game. Excellent. Thank you much. Take care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is posted and please feel free to share it with a colleague. If you have any questions you want answered during an upcoming episode, please send them to podcast at propelplm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.